I haven't said this in a minute, but not a comedy this episode. No, I cried a lot at the end. I cried a lot too. It, and, and one more thing I want to say, we get asked all the time at Q&As, name a documentary that you've done recently that you love. I love this documentary. I Because the, the story, the ending, it's just- It's, it's so it's, good. Um, yeah. Well done, Peacock. Very well, well done. done. Very well done. Hi, Jillian Bentavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Hi, fam. Hey, listen, fam, if you are hearing this the day this comes out, this Thursday, the 13th at 8 o'clock, we will be in Denver at the Newman Center doing our live show on the Jinx, girl. Oh, great. And then that Saturday, the 15th, we're at the Vic in Chicago. Both shows are almost sold out. There's like less than 100 tickets to either show left. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll all see you there. You really, might, you ran out of steam at the I end there. Explode before. I don't know. I'm having such a good time doing this tour. I, I might know. not make it. I just might not be there. Well, we kind of need you. So I know. Fuck up. One more thing. I'm coming to London August 4th with my book party. Ooh. Come see me in London. It's a little thing in Soho. There's only like 25 seats left, but it's Fun. only like 175 seats at all. Oh, I love Patrick it. Patrick Get your tickets. Okay. All right, girl. What are we talking about today? We are talking about... Amber, the girl behind the alert on Peacock. So you know the Amber alerts? Yes. This was every parent's nightmare. That particular time, everybody is a suspect. We're both innocent. I mean, there's no reason for us to harm our child. This individual may have committed this crime before. Who's in our circle? Who's around Amber all the time? I immediately thought, oh my gosh, she was targeted. We interrupt this program to bring you the following News 8 special report. We feel that this tentatively is going to be the body of Amber Hagerman. So we're in Arlington, Texas. We're with Amber's mom, Donna. And you know what she says, and I love? What? This is going to be my last interview. I said good yep, in my notes. Same. I said she's been through enough, but the reason... It's been like 27 years. I know. She's like, I'm tired of being sad all the time. This is it. And the reason she wants to do this is because she really wants to show everyone who Amber was. Yes. And like, you know, all these happy memories. Once again, like I think too, we're in this business. We're true crime people. I never knew that there was like a documentary crew following around Amber of the Amber Alerts family. This is amazing. It feels like found footage. It is. The amount of footage that we have is absolutely unreal from before the murder but like like, right before like six months before but also like the day of because the day after the family stays close like right like the documentary producer just like never stops filming and they become very good friends she's not shitty so her name is her name is Pam Curry it's August 1995 and Pam Curry starts making a documentary about Amber's family yes and so what they're doing is they're following Donna the mom around for a documentary about how to get women off of welfare yes and they start filming five months before Amber's abducted and Amber mom Donna's just saying at the time I was a single mom with two children and I was on welfare they asked me if I wanted to be in the documentary uh, and documentary is about how women get off welfare and mommy see Amber what they found me at a women's shelter she was living in a shelter, and the documentary was having a hard time getting people to, like, be to on let camera. Them in and be, I gotta you know. tell you, like, my mom was on welfare when I was growing up. I grew up in public housing before my mom, like, found the job that she did forever. For a couple years when my mom left my dad, we were on welfare, and it was, so, it should not have been, uh-huh. but it was so shameful. We were really? on food stamps. Yeah. I remember, and I have such shame about this. I think about this all the time. Not about the food stamps. When we would go grocery shopping, yeah. my mom, we would go to check out, and, like, sometimes there'd be kids from that worked in my high school who were like the checkout people uh, and I would leave my mom and go sit in the car. 
Because she was going to pay with food stamps. Yeah, and because kids can be horrible. Yeah. And, like, and there's I a just, stigma around it. And, of course, oh, girl, I hate hearing I, that. I like, But, like, it shouldn't be shameful. It shouldn't like, be. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. It's the stigma and teenagers. I know. Teenagers I know. So we learn about Donna's story. Because Donna was actually willing to go on camera and talk about this. Because she thought she could help people. Donna, yeah. like, Donna is such a forward thinker. She's such a generous person. Even to just be here sharing her story about, like, this horrible, horrible tragedy that happened to her, like, 27 years ago. Yeah. She's done nothing but give her story her whole life. I know. It's true. You know? So Donna's story is that she got pregnant at 18 years old. Yeah. She was terrified. And she just says, like, this really beautiful, like, she immediately fell in love with Amber when she was born. And she looked at her and she was like, I just, you know, I thought Amber was, like, a beautiful name and a beautiful word. And yes. so she just, like, I she mean, was always Amber. Because, like, as a parent, you don't think, I remember the moment they put Daisy in my hands. Yeah. And, you know, like, it was abject terror. And it was like, <laughs> but I just remember this. She was so hairy. <laughs> she had so much hair just everywhere. You're just so in love. I, you're your in love life. and you're, like, it was, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, but for a lot, there are some parents, they tell you also, if you don't feel that instant connection. That's okay. It's, that's okay, too. Yeah. Doesn't, you know, because yeah, mine wasn't like instant, like love, love, love. Mine, mine was like, oh my god, I do love you, I think, but I also have to raise you. I said that to you about Golden. I know. I was like, don't worry if you're I not know, super in love; it'll be okay. When does the love part happen? Shut up! <laughs> I just yeah, what I'm was just, that evil laugh? You just like stomped your feet, and why do you love this? It is just I love trolling you about you it. You are I, such a fucking troll about Golden. Why. But the thing is, Sam, we were at one of our live shows, and I made a Golden joke and Jillian goes fuck you no because you were like oh I'm so sick of talking about the dog it wasn't a joke you groaned yeah, yeah. and you said you can't wait to not you don't want to uh -huh. answer dog questions uh -huh. you don't do uh -huh. it and meanwhile you're just like how's Fiona is she doing okay I like know, as long as it's not golden you give a shit and I, that, that ends today I do <laughs> not on my watch I do love golden that little fucking face good because he's it. here now I know so you gotta love him oh god well, Donna, the mom, met Amber's dad, Richard. She said just by walking around the neighborhood. Donna she, liked to go for long walks. Yeah, she used to walk a lot and they were just I don't around. relate, Donna. No, I, don't. I don't relate. You don't. If that's how you were supposed to meet people, I'd be an old spinster. Gay old spinster. Yeah. Gay old spinster Heinz. Okay. With his vodka. You know what? He's doing just fine. He's doing, you know what? I wouldn't worry about it. Totally. Not your business. Kind of not a bad life. Totally. Um, so Richard is Amber's father. Yes. He was 34 years old and Donna was 18. She says this thing where she goes, I basically grew up with him and I was like oh I mean it's you know age of consent she's an adult he's an adult good for you so they have Amber and then four years later they have Ricky and Ricky's here with us now and you know Amber absolutely loved Ricky she wanted to take care of him there's footage of her saying like in a very sweet way like no he's my baby that, now I mean like, that's how mine. Daisy treats Golden like <laughs> yeah. she thinks of Golden like she'll pick I'm like sweetie you can't care he doesn't like that <laughs> he's so light just he's his so light and, and he's honestly so he makes a resigned face he'll just do whatever Daisy says uh -huh. so she'll pick him up with the most awkward like with one arm he is so scoopable I know Oops, you've never right seen up. anything like Daisy with the iPad in one hand my, my enormous podcast headphones yeah. on and like Golden under her arm and the other as she's walking yeah. to the bathroom. Yeah. I'm like, what are you going to do with her? There? Whole, her whole life. Don't I worry know. about it. Who asks you? It's fine. She has everything she needs. And she closes the bathroom door and there's no sound. Okay, okay whatever. Great. When I first met Golden, I laid eyes on him and I walked right up to him and as I'm picking him up, I'm like, does he like being picked up? I know. <laughs> just snuggling him. So Amber was seven years old. Ricky was about two or three and that's when Donna left their father. This when he really started drinking a lot. Her father was physically abusive to me. He never abused my children. He was just really mean when he was drinking. 
Richard would get mean and violent when he drank, and, like, the neighbors were all always calling the police. They were fighting. It was really loud. The cops say to Donna, if we come back here one more time, we're taking your kids. Jesus. So she's like, absolutely not. Yes. Yes, she's like, absolutely not. And she's like, that's all I needed to hear, and she was up and out. And, like, she says they had to live in her car for two days. It's not that she didn't have a place to go. She just couldn't go to her parents' house because she was afraid he would find her. And I was like, oh, shit. It was like that. It's bad. So then Donna went to the women's shelter and they stayed there for like six weeks. Yes. And the shelter helped them get an apartment, get on welfare, like get her back on her feet. And she says- Why are we raising a billion dollars a year for shelters? We should be doing only charity events for shelters. if I, like the list of things we should be doing. But she says like, Donna says it took her a full year to stop being scared that Richard would find, like track her down and find her. Yeah. So they've been living in the apartment for nine months. That's when Donna starts filming the documentary. We learned Donna's going to school. She's not just going to school. She's going to fucking medical school. Mm -hmm. And in addition, she's volunteering at the food stamps office. Yep. Like, this woman does nothing but give back. All she does is give back. And she was like, we see her on this footage saying to Pam and the the crew, like, she's always trying to stay positive in front of her kids. Like, she never wanted to let them down and say that they couldn't do something or, like, she didn't want to say, like, I can't afford it. So she was always just trying to make sacrifices. Can you imagine being, like, a single mom, getting assistance however you can, you're going to school full-time, you're raising two kids, and you're volunteering at the food stamps office. Right, and you're telling your story to help other people get on the right track that you are so, you know what I mean? To just sort of like be an inspiration. And this is when Richard, the dad, wants her to move back in and she's like, fuck no. Slowly I let Richard come back into the kids' lives because that is their father and like it or not, that's, I had to for my kids. Amber was still a little leery of him. She was still a little scared that maybe he will get drunk again. But eventually that kind of faded away as well. And they were okay together. Amber was always like a little bit scared and just a little uneasy about the whole thing. But she says that eventually that faded away. Yeah. So November 25th, 1995, it's two months before Amber is abducted. It's her ninth birthday. Yeah. All her friends are there. There's like cake and ice cream. And I I just had this moment of like, you see her opening her presents. She looks so eternally grateful. It's not a look Daisy knows well. Whoa. That's on you, girl. Like, I love my kid. Grateful is not a word I would use to describe We got to get to work on that. I know. I'm inserting no, myself into your just home. Not, no, no, no. I'm, I'm mostly joking, but like, you can tell that Amber doesn't get like presents often. They're a, they're a very poor family. And I just, I was so like, she just looks so grateful, but we also see her in this blue polka dot dress. And that's going to kind of be the picture that we're going to kind of know about her when she is abducted because yeah. they, they use this footage for like the wanted images or whatever. It's very sad. But, and this was also when we see that the documentary crew and this family, they were, they were like a family. They were so close and it's so intimate to be sharing that kind of level of intimacy with with this totally. family and it was about all like access. Yeah, and like your struggles, but also gratitude yeah. and the good and the bad. And it's just like it's kind of amazing. It, it, it's amazing that this footage exists. Like I, I can't mean, believe it. The, like Amber of Amber Alert is going to be abducted shortly and this documentary crew was there to document the six months. It is just months. wild. It's it's as though Amber's story was predestined to be told. It's unbelievable. You know? So it's January 13th, 1996, and Donna takes her kids to visit her parents. Yeah. Jimmy and Glenda. Yeah. And I love the name Glenda. I know. I do too. The Good Witch. Yeah. Well, it's Glinda. But Oh, are we doing this? <laughs> I'm, or Gotlinda. Gal- 
<laughs> popular. <laughs> Whatever. I just like witchy names. So, because it wasn't Glendora and Bewitched. That's oh, a good name, too. Oh, right. It doesn't matter. So, it's Saturday, and they're calling it Family Day. Yes. And so, they go to Castle Park for a few hours. It was a gorgeous day. And now, Ricky and Amber want to ride bikes because they're kids. It's a nice day. They're with their grandparents. And Donna's like, okay, cool. And I call her down and say, we all stay together, and y'all come right back. And Amber turns around and she looks at me, okay, mommy, we will. And that was my last time seeing her or hearing her little voice. And this is the last time Donna saw Amber, but we see the footage of Donna seeing Amber for the last time. Yeah. I can't wrap my head around it. So they're nine and five. So Daisy is nine. And that is one of the reasons why this like hit me particularly hard. I said to Steve this morning, like, it's not that I think that Daisy couldn't be kidnapped, but I do. Th- I feel like you get to a certain age where it's, you're not Madeline McCann. You're not three anymore. You're not two, however old she was. You have like autonomy or whatever. And it's wild to think that like you see Amber, she looks like a kid who is like a like person, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so Daisy's that age. And it just made me like very, this whole documentary made me very scared, but... I was just like, do kids still get to, like, at nine years old, go ride their bikes off around the corner where the parents... I would never in a million years let Daisy do that. I think, Granted, it's New York City, and it's very different from where this is happening. Sure, but there's also, like, you can have an... You can track them on an app. It's yeah. different now. Like, I think there are other resources know. now. I don't, I don't agree. know. Like, if, if my, like my nine-year-old... If, if you are scoopable, like Golden, yeah. you're not out of my sight. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But again, it's New York. I just... To me, it just felt like very... Like, a lo- like that wouldn't happen today. But if you lived in the suburbs, Daisy wouldn't be able to go... Like, go around the block on her bike? I can't answer it because yeah. I don't live... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm, I'm wondering, like, parents, tell me. Like, do you let your kids do this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually maybe the worst person no, to I'm, ask. I'm asking the listeners. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, do you let your kids, like, ride around the block where you can't see them? Anyway. But, again, that's the last time the mom sees or hears her. She rides away. And Ricky tells us what happens. Like, they, we see this map. They do maps really well in this documentary. Yeah. And we see, like, the route they usually take, which is, like, in a circle around the block. But that day we took a left where we weren't supposed to go. We went to a uh, abandoned parking lot. They have a little um, ramp that we can ride down. We were not allowed to go to that parking lot without someone with us. But, you know, kids, we don't always listen, so... They wanted to ride the bikes on the ramp. And, like, it wasn't that far away. And I'll tell you, like, Daisy being nine years old, I'll tell you, they feel invincible. And, and like, they were explicitly told not to go into that parking lot. But kids do it all the time. Of course. Because it's broad it, daylight. It's broad. Like, they're thinking, like, well, it's not at night. And it's yeah. just, like, a little bit over here. Because it is close enough to, like, it. it's so not their fault. But, yes. like, I, I, I could just... Even imagine me being like, I would think, what's the difference, Mom? Exactly, of course. It's, it's so close to where I'm supposed to be. We're only like, going to be here for five minutes. Who cares? Yeah. Ricky is the me because he goes there. He goes with her for two minutes and he's like, we're going to get in trouble. I'm going home. Yeah. And Amber says, all right, you go ahead. I'll, I just want to go up this ramp like one more time. Yeah. I'll be right behind you. So and then like Ricky leaves and goes home without Amber. He goes home and it's, it's, it's probably a two minute bike ride yeah. to the house. And again, not his fault. I, didn't course, want, I don't know course. how that sounded, but no. But he, like he gets back there and, and Amber's not with him and the grandfather who's out in the front yard working or whatever. Yeah. It's like, where's your sister? And he's like, I don't know. She was supposed to be right behind me. And he says she's at the parking lot with the ramps. Instantly, the grandfather knows something is wrong. They're in the car immediately. Immediately. And the thing is, this is minutes. Yes. Two, five minutes maybe. They're in the car. They're not going to walk there. Right. Like, they're getting there immediately. And this is when Ricky says, we just found her bike laying there. And he says, and that's where it gets a little hazy. Oh yeah. And then we hear this 911 call. 318. Mm-hmm. Remember, they 18 took... 18 p.m. 318 p.m. They took off on their bikes 18 minutes ago. We hear, like, this random guy calling 911 being like... Yeah, I saw a black pickup pull up over here on Raven Street. And he 
She hollered real loud because I could hear it plumb over here. Yes. So he was like across the street and he said, that's what made me think something was bad. So I just called you right away. I mean, this man just picked her up off her bike and threw her. Once again, I just want to say, and my daughter is small for her size. She's tiny. She's, but she's not light. Like to pick up a nine-year-old girl and just throw her in a truck and drive off is not as easy as it sounds, especially if she's holding onto a bike. Uh Like this man must have been big and fucking strong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, this person, this witness, his name is Jimmy Kevill. Yeah. He called 911. 911- Not Jimmy Kimmel. No. <laughs> right. A whole different guy. <laughs> he called 911 before she was even reported missing. Yes. Like, yes. immediately, In, Within seconds. But this is what's so frustrating about this case, and they're going to say it over and over again. I wish we had a way to get this information out sooner. I wish we had a way to get this uh-huh. information out sooner. Right. It's all foreshadowing for what's coming. But, like, and they're going to say it a million times later. This kidnapping happened in broad daylight with a witness on a Saturday afternoon. By the in, laundromat. Like, in, in, a, in a populated area with yeah. people on the street. Nobody but this guy saw anything. Mm-hmm. It is The chances of that are, it suddenly makes sense how Maura Murray could go missing yeah. in that 30-second window and where nobody was looking Ricky at her. Ricky didn't hear her screaming. Yeah. It happened yeah. instantly. Interestingly enough, we meet Mark Simpson, who was a sergeant in 1996. Yes. And he says the suspect was, oh, woof, everybody. He described the suspect as a non-African-American male less than six feet tall, of medium build, and clearly of sufficient strength that he was able to pick Amber up off of the bicycle. Amber's feet never hit the ground. A non-black male. I know. Fucking what? I know, I can know. Can we not, even now when you're telling the story, Mark Simpson, can we not with the casual racism? I know. God damn it. So he's non-black, their words. Yeah. Under six feet tall, medium build. But yet, like you're saying, strong enough to pick up Amber off of her bike. And the, the witness and says And probably her- pry her off of it. Like, like I'm not joking when I tell you there are times I try to pry the iPad out of Daisy's hands and it takes me 10 seconds. Out of her cold, dead hands. I know. Dog in one hand, iPad in the other, walk into the bathroom. A one-handed grip? Yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. She's a rock climber. She doesn't oh, go to climbing does. club yeah. twice a week, so she does have that grip strength, there I guess. You go. But here, we learn about this, this single cab pickup truck, which is basically like, it's what you think of when you think of a pickup truck. We're like talking about cars and I'm lost. Well, it's a black, the thing that we learn is that there's like, it's like just room for the driver and the passenger and then yeah. like open in the back. Thank you for clearing that up in, in, a, in a, as least a homophobic way as possible. Thank you. You're welcome. You really nailed that. I do my best. <laughs> it is pride after all. Uh, I mean, it's always pride. <laughs> Remember, the witness called 911 yeah. and now at the same time though, the grandfather is coming with Ricky to find Amber. And so when the cops get there, the grandfather's already there because this witness had called 911. Sam, what we're trying to drive home is there was 100 people on this crime scene in, in 12 minutes or less. Yeah. It is unbelievable how quickly, and we'll learn that this is like a low crime area. So like the cops, pro- they were probably not investigating other crimes or whatever. Right. And they were on this crime scene so fast. And like this, it's the middle of the day and this guy fucking vanishes. And now everyone is... Like, 
like the neighbors, the community, yes. like everyone, like that afternoon, that very afternoon, everyone is looking for Amber. And Ricky's got to go home and tell his mother. God. We hear, like, I don't know how they have this recording, but the mom calls the dad and it's just hysterical. Like, yeah. you got to find her. You got to come help me find her. Someone took her. Someone took her. I, my brain will not allow me to process what that must feel like no. as a parent. No, no, no. To be saying those words yeah. out loud. There was at least three times watching this. I just put my head in yeah. my hands and sobbed. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, Amber's father is at his best friend Mike Thompson's house. What's going on with Mike Thompson? They, they keep saying his full name. Right? <laughs> so now we meet Sergeant Mike, and yeah. he was at home having a nice little Saturday for himself. <laughs> Just, God damn it, can he have a minute One to God himself? One minute. No, he can't. But he's got a lot of questions. He's like, listen, could this be a family friend, a parent? Are there custody issues? Sure, and they're all good questions. They all are, and we'll learn later that like 99, literally 99% of the time, it is one of those things. Right. And so what he tells us is that the person grabbed Amber, yeah. got back in the car, headed back towards town. The interesting thing about going back to the West is it's back toward town and it's more congested. Speculation was that there was a specific place back to the West. If he was from out of town, I think he would have gone to the East and accessed off uh, 360 to I-30 or I-20. If he was out of town, he would have gone east and went on the highway and yeah. then would have been like across state lines by now. And we're going to learn in a second. But not really because it's Texas and Texas is enormous. This this thinking didn't make that much sense to me because I was kind of like, wait, if he if he was from here, wouldn't he go to the highway and get the fuck out of here? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not really following the logic there, but maybe we're going to learn in five seconds that literally every single person in Texas drives a black pickup truck. I mean. Every single, like if you're in Texas right now, you are in a black pickup and truck. And they were like, we didn't even realize how many there were. <laughs> on the road until you're looking for one and then it's every single car you see. And so that makes more sense to me is that like everyone drives the car that I drive, go downtown where all the cars look exactly alike. Right. But Donna, Amber's mom, calls Pam Curry, the producer of the documentary. It's like her first call. And it's just like Donna needs your help. Pam drops everything and yes. goes to Donna immediately. And this is the beginning of like such a gorgeous friendship and relationship yeah. that they have. Yeah. And so the cops are looking at the area and like there's the laundromat right there and like people are coming and going but the only thing is there wasn't any windows facing that parking lot with the ramp so right. like there were people around but they were in I mean imagine it. any empty lot in any town like that's what it was. It's like there are people but they're over there yeah, and like I the guess business like, like the big laundromat has windows facing the front but this lot is on the side and yeah. there's no windows on that and it's sort of like she screamed really loud Loud, but if you're in the laundromat, that's also really loud. There's also like no tire impressions in the dirt. There, he didn't leave any like cigarette butts or anything like that. It's weirdly the perfect crime. And it's also like, oh wow, there's like a little kid screaming on a Saturday yep. afternoon because it's gorgeous out. Yep. Like some kids make noise. Uh, even I know that. It is so terrifying. I cannot. I, it is so fucking. It's what I always say. Like kids have no power. Like it is I know, just it's terrifying. It's so it's easily terrifying. overpowered. Like oh my god. So producer Pam gets to the house and like we get this whole thing about how like th it, it's already becoming a media circus, but like and no one's let in. But Pam, the producer with her camera crew, waltzes right but in. Someone's, the cops are like, excuse me, who are you? And right. Pam's like, excuse me. Yeah. I'm basically family step aside. It's true. And she says like she has like full access to this family to tell their story. Also, we're, we're back with brother Ricky and like I can just see this. Like he's five or something and every single person is like, what do you remember? It is the I most know. important thing. What? And he's like, I don't remember That's anything. That's the quickest like, 
way to get somebody to shut down, by the way. That A, that, you know? but B, like, I think that this guy also waited until the brother left and just saw, uh-huh. an, uh, this was a crime of opportunity. Yeah. You know? And so Pam and the crew keep rolling on all of this, which is why yeah. we have the footage of the family waiting for news about where Amber is. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this. I know. It's crazy. So it's July 13th, 1996. It's the day of the abduction. Amber was abducted at about 3.20 in the afternoon. Somewhere around 4.30, the police department contacted the various media outlets and you're trying to get them there. But what I truly wish is that there would have been a method that we could have got more information out faster. I just wish there had been a better way to get this information out quickly because if you imagine it, like this driver's on the road. Imagine there's a way to communicate to drivers yeah. and maybe we could have eyes on the road and we could help find yeah, them. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe some amazing woman will come up with that idea. <laughs> Stay tuned. So Joanne is a former producer of America's Most Wanted and oh, she's God. here to give us some cold, hard, fucking terrifying facts. She's here to make me crawl into my bed and never get out ever again. Yes. So she says, statistics show us that in 74% of abductions where the child is murdered they are killed within the first three hours. Time is of the essence, people. Now, I don't know if you all, I, I told a story in the after party about being in Hawaii and Daisy. We, As a big family, we were all walking down the beach and we all went to the parking lot and we turned and Daisy was gone. This is the statistic that was in my mind. as And this went on for probably, I think, 90 seconds before we found her and she had just continued down the beach. But like me and every parent on the beach was in an uproar looking for her. It was really, I wasn't overreacting. This was a real of thing. Course. And all I could think of was like, the clock is ticking, the clock, like if we don't find her in the next hour or that's two, it. it's that's it. That's it. God. I know. I know. Ugh. And this woman, Joanne, is also saying that in the 90s, the fastest way you're going to get information out there is the six o'clock news. It's only 420. And it's like, three hours after she was taken. Exactly. But the thing about this, Pam Curry and the crew have amazing footage for the news. We had footage of this little girl alive, not some grainy picture that we were going to slap up. And back then, that's what you did in a tragic news story like this, that's all the family had to rely on is to throw up a still picture. We put together a clip reel of some of the best identifiable footage that I had from shooting the documentary. They put what together a like. reel. It's a, like it, her voice. Yeah. We have to focus on this for like a minute because it's impossible for people to remember what it was like back then before yeah. social media, before we had camera phones. Like people would take pictures at birthday parties and at weddings. Or and like that the was, school photo. Yep. And that's kind of it. And by the time that's photocopied and it makes its way on a flyer to the news, you can barely see it. Remember like Johnny Gosh on the back of yeah. the milk carton. Like yeah. those are the mindset of today where we all have a million videos of our kids that did not happen. No, no, no. And everyone is driving home. The fact that video footage of her moving talking and not only because you can actually see what she looks like but somebody says later when you see a video of a little kid versus a picture you care about them more you see them at a birthday party you see them playing with their uh, they're a real person to you and somehow that makes you connect more I think there's something psychologically about seeing someone in motion yes there's something about that grainy photo that already makes it seem like they're in the past so when you see them in real life blowing out candles it feels like she's still here. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. In some fucked up and, way. And also, like, when you're seeing just a three-dimensional person, like, you get a better sense of what that... They were so, so, so fortunate to have this video footage. And the thing is, this documentary hadn't aired yet. They, they yes. finished filming the day she was taken, and the doc was supposed to come out the following week. Yes. So, Donna is doing everything possible. She's not what I think so many people would want to do and I'm sure she wants to do this which is like crawl into bed and cry and never see the light of day ever again. No. She 
cannot eat. She cannot sleep, which she admits, like, obviously. But she's just doing everything she can. And they're doing that thing that you do, like, appealing to the kidnapper. And she says, like, these things just fucking cut me right to the core. She says, like, into the camera. Don't hurt my baby, please. She's just an innocent child. Please. Please bring her home safe. Please. If she's smart, she could find her way home. Just let her go. She's smart. She can find her way home. She's nine. God. So Officer Ben tells us they start getting tips almost immediately. Like, once it hit the 6 o'clock news, people start calling in. Phones are ringing off the hook. And they're, like, looking around, like, who could this possibly be? Because in, like, we know in 99% of cases, the kidnapped child is kidnapped by somebody they know. Immediately, they suspect the documentary crew. Yeah, so Pam they, and all of her people. They, like, start with the inner circle. <laughs> they're like, wait, what? And Pam's like, excuse I me. Know. But you know what? Every single person is happy to do whatever they can do to be ruled out so they can just keep looking. Yeah, and Pam's like, look through my out hundreds of hours of footage, like anything you need, whatever. Yes. So then, of course, they turn to the dad. They're like, you know, the dad that was abusive and was an alcoholic and hasn't been around. Like, where was he? What's his story that day? And we also learned from Donna that, like, you know, it had been three weeks since Amber or Donna had seen it. Donna and Richard are not in a good place at no. all. So that really adds to, like, what are these family dynamics? Like, yeah. Donna and Richard aren't together. Donna says it was abusive. They're not getting along at the time of the kidnapping. Like, right. what's going on? Like, would he take her? Would someone he know? Like, what's happening here? Yes. So it's January 15th, day three. Days are going by. There are no suspects. This is where we get the statistic. 1% yeah. of child abductions in the United States are stranger abductions. Fewer than 1%. Fewer than 1% are stranger abductions. It's almost always someone they know. And yeah. I know, like, this is like therapy talk, but you don't say always and never. But right. it's almost always someone they know. Yeah. So where the hell was Richard that day? I'd love to know. Yeah. And, like, he, he says he's got an alibi. He says he was at his warehouse. And surveillance footage corroborates this 100%. He's as happy as a clam, as yeah. my mom would say. He's not a care in the world. He has no idea anything. He's just like walking around. Your like, momisms are the happy as a clam. He's as happy as a clam. <laughs> look at him. <laughs> oh, look at him. He's happy as a clam. Look oh, at him. Oh, yeah, look at him. Happy as a clam. Not a care in the world. Yeah. Meanwhile. And so they, they were like, yeah, okay. Like footage, schmuttage. Let's yeah. search the warehouse anyway. Let's see. And of course, like nothing was there. And Richard is eliminated as a suspect. But this is when they look back at that Michael Thompson guy, Richard's friend. The only first and last name we get this entire time. And like he, this. Ugh. I know. So he's always, his name came up right away. Everyone yes. was like, you should look at that Mike Thompson guy. He's always at the family outings. He's just around. He is telling the news that he's the family spokesperson. Yeah. He's like the, speaking for Donna. The investigators are like, especially on a high profile crime, if we've got someone trying to actively insert themselves into the investigation, one of the first reasons I want to know is why. One of the things that we learned in interviewing Mike Thompson is that he also drove a black truck. Also, Mike drives a black, black pickup, pickup truck. truck. I know everyone because in this everyone town in Texas does. does. <laughs> but it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mike was a delivery guy. Yes. And all of his deliveries were time-stamped. So it says that he was about 40 minutes away when Amber was taken. Yeah. And then they say, but he knew Amber. So, like, he wouldn't have had to take her kicking and screaming. And I'm right. like, but maybe not. Maybe she was scared of him. He's not exactly 
kid friendly. No, well, a million percent. Right? He looks. He, I'd be scared of him. Yes, but I think that they're saying that he. We can place him forty minutes away from the crime scene at the time of the crime. Right. So it wasn't him. It wasn't. But it's like what you, you think it was him. I don't. At first, <laughs> I was like, they just keep dropping this Mike Thompson guy. He's the guy that would get drunk with her dad, and then yes. her dad would be scary. And I'm sure Mike isn't the most pleasant drunk. I'm just oh saying, God, not to pass judgment, but here I am. Yeah. yeah. So again, he's not kid friendly if you watch the doc. And yeah. so I don't know. It was just a weird. Like, then why are we here? I agree. I They also describe the kidnapping as a blitz attack, which is just why. Like, they're convinced it was a stranger. Yeah. And, like, the thing that's so scary about this to me is that unless they were stalking her for weeks, which yeah. is terrifying, like, this person made a split decision to take her and be a monster. Yes. Like, all of the things had to align. Like, there are people in this world who see a nine-year-old girl on a bike and think, aha. Uh-huh. Like, there is, if you really take a second to think about that. I know. That is one of the scariest. But that's why I will never let Daisy at this age out of my fucking sight. Ever. Like, you just see, like, huh, the brother just went away. Yes. She's there. Like, what an opportunity for me to be a monster. Yes. Like, yes. wait a second. I know. I know. And we're going to get a whole bunch <sighs> later about, like, was this sexually motivated? We will learn that she wasn't sexually assaulted. She was not. So I do wonder, like, if it, if she had gone home and Ricky had stayed, would it have been Ricky? Like, was it just any little kid? And, like, why? And why? So the case takes over the entire city. The community is hanging pink bows everywhere. Of course, it's all anyone can talk about. Everybody is terrified. It could have been any of their kids. Right. So by the fourth day, the task force is formed. We were a freestanding task force. We had 15 detectives that they had dedicated to us. I needed people who were very good at interview and interrogation, who had a very strong attention to detail. They didn't let little things slip by them. And I needed people that did not know the meaning of the word quit. By the fifth day, like, they realize, all right, we have to look into everything no matter how far-fetched because days are going by here. And, of course, at this point, they say, like, the longer time passes, the less likely it is we're going to find her and even less likely that we're going to find her alive. Right. So now in the middle of all of this, it's day five and there's a massive rainstorm, yeah, like a huge torrential storm. It's Texas in January and they said it had been like really like unseasonably warm. And then all of a sudden the weather changes and now it's freezing and everything is wet. It was like a cold front. So yeah. they were like, when the heat meets the cold, there's rain. And I'm like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I didn't take science beyond seventh grade, but I don't know. They talk about how storms are worse in Texas. I love a great storm. That's awesome. But he was like, when the heat meets the cold. And I'm like, I'm sure that's true. I know. I I, I agree with you. That's how storms happen. You know what I mean? Sure. But this is not great when you're. This is also not a science podcast. Do you know what I mean? Do you? It's Are there not, people listening who think this is a science podcast? What if like, recategorize as a science podcast? Because I think we've made it pretty clear that we don't know shit about shit. Not about shit. But then, 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 we get this 911 call. My husband thinks he found the little girl we're all looking for. But like the body of the girl. The body. And so he, she was like, I'm scared about the rain because I don't want her to get taken by the current. Because it's in a creek behind this apartment building and like, and the water level is really high. Yeah. And so, yes, they're afraid the, the body is going to sort of be washed away. And so the body had been found in Arlington. Yes. And so immediately the cops are there. 
the media. And everyone is pushing, like, this is where the cops have such a hard job because not only do they have to, like, disentangle the body of this, like, naked, we're told, young girl, they are contending with the press who is insisting that they tell them right now if that's Amber or not. Because remember, this is the only story happening in this county at this time. Right. So they just keep, like, no one wants to, everyone's thinking it's her, but no one wants to say it. And also, like, you understand, too, if they tell you on the news, the family, that's how they're going to find out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So even if they know, they can't tell you. And we meet Daryllyn Perryman. Yeah. Hell of a name, Daryllyn. <laughs> But also, like, hell of a woman. Like, right. She's like the family advocate on the police department. She works for Arlington Victim Assistance. Yeah. And she's the person who has to break the news to the family. And so, like, assumptions are being made. She basically goes to be with the family because she's kind of like, news is going to come. Like, obviously, the family is watching the news. And because of Pam, the documentarian's footage, we are watching the family watch the news, which is wild. It's crazy. And Daryllyn is with them. And she's kind of like, until we know for sure, we don't know. But she's going to be there and she's going to be the one to, like, tell them if it is her. But it is Amber. Yeah. And Daryllyn gets a phone call and says, Mike Simon said, yes, you know, we've we've identified it's her. Um, they ad- identified some birthmarks. And then he said, and you have five minutes to tell the family before we announce it to the media. You have five minutes to tell the family before we tell the media. Yeah. Fuck. And I'm sure that's not like the cops. That's not what they want to do. But they know that this story is going to get out. There's going to be they only have five minutes to keep the lid on this story. And so they, you know, we get like the story from inside the house where the family is told and they are at Donna's mother's house. Mm-hmm. So Amber's grandparents. Because that's where they were visiting yes. when they went to ride their bike. And of course, like the grandparents are falling apart. And I was like, oh my God, like Donna can't even fall apart because her parents are falling uh-huh. apart. Right. And I was like, don't do this. Yeah. It was making me so mad. But then Donna immediately goes to denial mode, yeah. which I totally, totally get. Of course. She's like, that's not my kid. I will not believe it until I see it. I will not believe it until I can touch her, until I can see her. This this crushed me. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and Pam Curry, by the way, does the right thing, scraps the welfare documentary. Yes, because, of course, please. of course. It was supposed to come out in like two Can days. Can you imagine? Pam. It comes out on Thursday? Pam. Absolutely not. There would have been a whole fucking pullover tangent about how much we hate Pam, but we love Pam. Yeah. She did and the right call here. So like they say, you know, they send the body to the morgue and Pam is insisting on like going to confirm that it's her daughter. And thank fucking God we're told the morgue doesn't allow visitors. Like... So Amber was found in a creek three miles away. Yeah. And the cops are like, how and why? Three miles away. Yeah. So they think that she, the cops say that she was probably found right where the body was left. It just doesn't seem likely that a suspect would just randomly drive into this complex and then just happen upon a creek to leave her body in. The way this is laid out, it's a neighborhood, right? Like, this apartment complex is huge, huge. and it's, like, its own neighborhood. And the creek isn't, like, it's not, like, a a beautiful stream that flows through town. It just kind of goes behind. It's, like, behind buildings. Exactly. Right? Like, one of those. So, but there was, like, a main gate and then another entrance, like, west of that main gate. And that other entrance, the gate was broken. And, like, so people were coming and going. And because the weather was so bad, there was a security camera. And guess what? It actually worked and was on and was recording. But it was, like, so shaky 
and covered in water because yeah. of the rain. They're at one so point, it didn't work. Sorry. It didn't work. <laughs> and they do at one point think they can see a black truck going in, but they can't make out any like recognizable details. Yeah. And so, but what they're saying is that the suspect had to have been familiar with that site as well as the apartment complex. Yeah. So of course they're like, who's this guy who found the body? Let's get eyes on Stuart. Right. Let's uh, talk to the guy who called it in. And we well, see his wife, his wife Edie called it in. Yeah. We see him like giving a press conference. He looks weird. I'll give you that. Well, I was a little distracted because they had that really big storm. Yeah. And finally the storm had cleared. And so he took his dog out for a walk. Yes. And his dog found the body and started barking. And I'm like, okay, so the dog found the body. Yes. Stuart. Yes. If we're going to get specific, let's give credit where credit's you due. Give the dog credit. For helping solve this thing. Justice for Fido. I will, like, I will give it to you. He Justice for Fido. Fido. <laughs> so they question him. He's a suspect for about two minutes. Yes. But his story totally checks out. Nothing was weird or inconsistent. Yes. And then, but they also say he was eliminated by a polygraph. And I'm like, oh, God, 1996. God I mean, it. honest to God, that he was eliminated by a... Po- can we relook at him? What you kind of car does he drive? Ex- I mean, a black truck, but so does but, everybody. But, like, so does everybody, so fuck. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't know that he drives a black no, truck. If he did, know. I'm sure that that would have been mentioned. But then it would have been, like, if Mike Thompson's cleared, yeah. Stewart's cleared. One thing that we skipped over that we should say... The night that Amber's body was found, there were thousands and thousands of gallons of water that washed over her body. Based on the condition of her body, we think that she was put in very close to, if not exactly, where her body was found. Thousands and thousands of gallons of water. So any or most or all DNA evidence that was if was ever on her body is probably gone. And now, you know, they're talking to everyone in the apartment complex because, remember, they think that the person has to be familiar with this place. Yeah. No leads, no witnesses, no one saw anything, zero suspects. And the thing is, it's not just that. Like, what's so crazy about that is they go door to door and it's like seemingly hundreds of residences in this apartment complex. No one in this town has their eyes open. I'm sorry. Like, Except I know, that one guy who called 911. And he, that guy was 76 years old. He was on the phone before she was even in the truck. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, my God, in the middle of this crowded apartment complex no one saw any this man carried a a naked body from his truck down into the water no one saw anything nope. maybe i mean could he have done it in the middle of the rainstorm when no one would be out I is that guess. is that a possibility or this no? This is just the luckiest criminal on earth. He kidnaps his kid in the middle of the day, in the middle of the city, with people everywhere. No one sees anything. Has the body for a week and then disposes of the body in a crowded, populated apartment yeah. complex where the security camera doesn't work very well and no one sees anything. Yeah. If you see the video footage of this apartment complex, it's not like it's a nice stroll down to the river. It's like the river is like through the parking lot. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? It's right there. Yeah. We learn about the damage to Amber's body, and this is where we we get, like, a technical description, thank God. And if you have kids in the car, please put on Looney Tunes or something. Put on the Indigo Girls. I'm going to give you two seconds. 1996. I know. Looney like, Tunes. In, in, both, in both respects. <laughs> Seriously, jeez. <laughs> How long? <laughs> but we learn. Amber had a um, very severe uh, laceration to her throat from one side to the other. Very violent cut. You've got all this damage to her throat, the neck area, but not necessarily a tremendous amount of damage elsewhere on the body. 
Her throat was cut. But they also say, this is where they tell us there was no indication of sexual assault. But then they speculate, like, just because her body wasn't penetrated doesn't mean that, like, the killing itself wasn't a sexual act for the person. I don't think we need to speculate about this. No, I think we can just hope the fucker's dead. Yes. Like, that's kind of where I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tripped onto a train track and couldn't get up. Right. And then, like, had to watch the train come. Yeah. So, you know, like, who did this? How was she kept alive? Where was Amber kept alive? And we also don't know if or how long she was kept alive. They say the body shows no signs of torture, no signs of restraint or defensive wounds. So we we don't know when she died. Like, you know, she could have been killed instantly, which, I I, I mean, as morbid as it is, as the father of a nine-year-old girl, that is my hope. Uh Uh-huh. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't look like if she was kept alive for a couple of days that she s- suffered in the no. sense of being tortured. I mean, now that we're talking about it, God, it just seems like this evil monster saw this opportunity that it all happened very fast. Yeah, because the entire city was looking for her, so no one looked in the creek. No, and she. They also say that like the reason they think her body was where they found it was because the body didn't have any evidence of bruising or scratching that you would see if the body had been like floating down a river yeah. and hitting rocks and right. encountering branches. Like, the body was found where it was put. God. I know. Which, by the way, was in a public enough place for a dog to find it on a a casual walk after a rainstorm. After five days of the entire city and community up in arms looking for her. I just don't get it. And then we get, like, the footage of her funeral and over 2,000 people show up. And it's so devastating. And, of course, the cops are doing what they do. They're there looking for, like, you know, suspicious. Some creep. But they're like, this was not a family affair. Well over 2,000 people showed up to her funeral. It was standing room only. There were so many people there because this had just touched the community like you can only imagine. Every single person in town showed up to the funeral. 2,000 people. 2,000 people. So, you know, a lot of leads are coming through. Most of them are useless. Yeah. And then four days after the funeral, some woman calls. Yeah. And she says... (laughs) That's not usually the tone you take with women. (laughs) Some woman. Some women. <laughs> women like this. Yeah, they get a tone. Sometimes women get a tone. I know. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Usually, like Donna yeah. and Pam yeah. and some women that will, and Darylin, yes. they get the I fucking love women tone. Lest we forget that bitch Donna Summers. This is what I'm saying. Fam, that's a Patreon joke. I gotta, it's worth signing up just to hear that joke. That's from Don't Pick Up the Phone. Lest we forget that bitch Donna Summers. Sometimes people are assholes. Yes. And it kind of doesn't matter how you identify. Uh-huh. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. So this woman calls and she says, actually, by the way, all these days later, I saw Amber being taken in a truck and I have a partial license plate. To which I say, bitch, where were you a fucking week Where now? have you been, girl? That was my big question. So everyone is so excited. A partial license yes. plate? Oh my God, You know who else is excited on. about this? The Ford Motor Company. They get involved. Okay. <laughs> they do. They call the Ford Motor Company and they're like, I know every single truck in Texas is black and, and, the, and the Ford. Ford Motor Company. Yeah, that's like Ford Elizabeth. <laughs> company. Ford Elizabeth? Yeah. You get it. The Ford Motor Company. It's the Ford Motor Company. Is that the official name? Ford Motor. Yes. It's just Ford? Ford Motors? It's the Ford Motor Company. Okay, great. They're like, okay, great. This woman's going to blow the roof off the case. The Ford Motor Company, (laughs) all hell breaks loose. They give them a list of like potentials based on the partial. Yeah. And they're all ready to go. And then she's like, oh, you know what? We interviewed her again. And then she finally admits to us that she didn't know anything and she just made it up. She made the story up because she felt so bad for Donna and the lack of a break in the case that she just wanted to do anything that she could to help her. 
She said she was so sad for Donna the mom that she needed the mom to have some kind of hope. So she makes this up. Fuck you. I now you're going to ask why I have tone? I know. I know. No, no, no. I know why you I'm had just saying, tone. dear listener, yeah, 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 yeah. sometimes people deserve tone. I know. Stop inserting yourself. If you're not going to be helpful, shut up and go I know. away. And like, How and, dare you do this to this woman? And the cops woman. are saying like she thought she was trying to help, but it was a drain on time, a drain on resources. They fucking called the Ford Motor Company. <laughs> I'm not He's doing just fine, I think. <laughs> I'm not worried about Ford. Like, I'm just saying, like, the Ford Motor Company got right. involved. And everyone, it was like, high hopes. You know what? Fuck you, lady. I, I don't know who I she know. is or where she is. You're really fast and loose with the fuck yous lately. Just real fast and loose. Okay, don't give false hope in a yes. murder investigation. Uh-huh. And don't talk shit about your own dog. I mean, I'm not asking, am I reaching for the stars here? No. I don't ask for much. Oh, that dog. That was fake. I could see it all over your face. You want to know why? I'll tell you this, everybody. Uh-huh. When we were coming home oh, no. from the I flight, do? when you very, very nicely drove oh, me home. Oh, you're going to tell them this? You said, I have to tell you something. And I said, oh my God, what? I thought it was going to be so juicy. Uh-huh. And you were like, uh-huh. I'm really excited to see Golden. I missed him. See? I know, I missed him a little. The welcome home is the best. I know. Anyway, what the fuck, lady? But Donna, speaking of an amazing woman, yes. has now become an advocate for missing children. She's taking her grief. So Donna, right, Amber's mom, just as a reminder. And, yeah. and because her point here... Donna became convinced that whoever took Amber had done something like this or similar to this before, and it just angered her that they were still out there and that they could have done it again. He did this before. If there had been something in place that could have gotten the, like, we had a witness. Yeah. If there could have been something in place to get things out to, like, the, the world at large, or or even just the community, we might have been able to find her. Because everybody said this was solvable. Right. The guy was, it was broad daylight in a black truck. He went down towards town. If we had gotten information out faster, we could have found her. And so, like, she becomes a leader in the community. Yeah. She's sharing her life with the public. And by March... She's also, like, a quiet person. That's not easy for her. It's not like if this happened to me... And I'm very, but I mean that like not as a no, joke. No, no, like, I know what you mean. I am very comfortable talking to people and getting people who like riled up about shit. Sure. If this happened to me, of course I would be out there. For somebody like her, yeah. for whom that is very hard to be so selfless and and push herself to continue to give back. Oh, I'm going to cry. In the face of all of this tragedy, this woman never does anything but give back. She also went back to medical school I after can't. a leave of absence. Like, I she's, can't. She, she's doing it all for Amber. She yeah. graduates. Now, the thing is, like we were saying, like, like, there wasn't a system in place to get things out. Like, time is always working against you. Like, yes. every second is a fucking disaster yes. if there's yes. not anything good. Yes. Enter Diana Simone. I love her. She comes along and she fucking changes everything. She also knows she had a good idea. And she did. Like, <laughs> give her your flowers. Like, know, she killed yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, she's a resident of Fort Worth, Texas. Uh-huh. And she's the one who comes up with the idea for the Amber Alert. I yes. fucking love women. I so... <laughs> Amber, this I was so amped up, right? So Amber was taken at 4 p.m. Yes. Around like or 3.18, but like yep. Diana sees this on the news at six. So she calls, she's like thinking, she's like pacing in her kitchen. She's like, what can we do about this? She calls the local radio station. Yes. And they say, Do you have any information? And she says, No, but I have an idea. Yes. And this I, is still at the height of the of Amber missing. This is before Amber was found. But like, you know where it's going, and that's yes. when I started crying. Yes. Because I was like, she goes, I have this idea for an emergency broadcast alert where yes. it would be like the loudest, most obnoxious signal to make everyone pay attention. Now remember, she's talking to the radio people. So now 
at least for us in New York, when we get Amber Alerts, we get them on our phone, mm-hmm. and it's like, and it's very annoying, but then you see what it is, and you're, you're grateful for yeah. it. She had the idea, like, the phone, smartphones didn't exist back then. You get to people in their cars through the radio. Arlington police and this group of radio station managers ended up getting together and formulating this plan for this emergency broadcast alert that they would put out. And it would have a loud, obnoxious sound. It was going to go out on the radio stations and would alert people that there had been a child abduction, give them information like, where did it happen? Um, What does the suspect look like? What is the suspect driving? The vehicle was the biggest thing because they're almost always taken in a car. And they're almost always black trucks. everyone else is in a car. You know, so the alert would have this loud, obnoxious sound. It would blare all over the radio waves. Like, who was taken, where they were last seen, anything about a suspect, the car, like anything and everything. Amazing, right? Because imagine, like, imagine Amber gets taken within five minutes. It's all over the the radio, and you're right. in your car With driving. Jimmy, that town. witness, yeah, and like picked up at this intersection. You're like, oh my god, I'm at that intersection. Let me find, let right. me find the guy. And now, if you see a kid screaming in the front seat, exactly. you're more yep. aware. Yes. So that's in Fort Worth, Texas, right? That was uh-huh. di- her amazing idea. Now we have to talk about Rayleigh Bradbury. Oh my god! It's November 1998, three years after Amber's abduction and murder. Yes. Rayleigh was a baby. Yes. Patricia, her mom, is here. Yes. <laughs> oh, my like, oh, my oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! This is horrible, but I know. like, but amazing, a good, uh, an amazing ending. Yeah. So this bitch, Sandra <laughs> Fallis, Fam, was, we're bringing them all back today. Was her friend and babysitter. Yes. And Patricia today was like, I got to be honest, she was as cute as can be. I know. And I'm like, how you can say a nice word about this I woman know. at all? But I like, know. that's what, how Patricia is. So Patricia drops off her baby, leaves the diaper bag, goes to work, the full eight hour work yeah. day. Sandra, the babysitter, who was cute allegedly. Yeah. Never brings Rayleigh home. Yeah. And the mom is like, there's no way my kid was kidnapped. Like, that's not what's going on here. But let me use the fucking Amber Alert anyway. <laughs> so they do it. They, it's the first time it's ever used. Three years after yes, the fact. Talk yes. about a low crime area. Right, because like the chain of command is she calls the cops. The cops are like, oh my God, go, go, Call go, Call the radio go. station. We're doing, we're doing the Amber Alert right now. They find her. Oh my God. Within 30 Minutes. And we Can hear, you stand but it? we also hear the nine one one call. Yes. We hear the guy in the car being like, "Uh, you know that Amber Alert that you just did? The lady's right in front of uh, her. Yes. Car's right in front of me." That's how. And we, I know, Rayleigh is here today I, as a grown. up The tears, I Patrick. Know. I'm telling you, would I not know. stop because she basically says, "I've said how much Amber Hagerman has meant to me, and it's true to this day. I wouldn't be here without her. I used to call her my guardian angel." I used to pray to her, just like little prayers, like, thank you for this day. Like, thanks for watching over me. She thanks her for watching over her. She yes. talks to her for like, I wouldn't be for here without day. her, she says. So it all started in Texas. And then eventually yes. it goes out all over the country. And people were saying like, wait a second, I want the Amber Alert in my town. Well, How the, do I get this in my state? And that was where the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children come in. Oh Nick my Nick. God, I did, it, I, did it, I did it on the first take. Nick Nick. And they come in and they, they're like, we're taking this national. By the year 2000, Nick Mick takes it national. Yeah. By 2003, President Bush signs on officially and appoints a National Amber Alert Coordinator at the Department of Justice. To which I said, oh my God, he did do something good. Is that why Michelle Obama likes him so much? Also probably because it originated in Texas. Totally. He yeah. fucking loves Texas. <laughs> he does love Texas. And then it's like all of a sudden it's January 13th, 2021. It's the 25th anniversary of Amber's abduction. There is still no No answers. Still unsolved. Still unsolved. And like 
holy shit, like how? I know. How did well, this person do this? I mean, because there were no witnesses and because her body was in a river during a storm, they're saying, like, it ends with them, like, sort of dry, like, cops, like, doubling down on their commitment to solving this, but saying, like, there might be tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of DNA on her body, mm-hmm. and we just don't know when it's the right time to try to test it because we'll probably, like, in our first go, we'll probably use all that there is. Yeah. And do we just keep waiting until we know the technology is there? Do we try? And I don't know what the answer is. Like, could they could possibly destroy all the evidence by testing it now, right. so they have to find a way to do it. such a teeny, tiny amount. And so they're going to keep working on the case, and it says Arlington detectives are currently working with a private lab to determine if DNA technology has advanced enough to test some of the evidence from Amber's case, but they still have not decided if it's the right I time. I know. But now, if you thought the tears stopped, I have news for you. Wait, is there, what, is there an update? Ricky... Her brother, Amber's brother, has a little girl. (gasps) She has Amber's middle name, which is Renee. Uh Uh-huh. Wait a second. Okay. She was born the same day as Amber (gasps) within the same hour. Oh, my God. I don't care what you fucking believe in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, like, a piece of Amber in that. You know what I'm saying? million She has her middle name. born. She has her same birthday in the same birth hour. Wow. Come on. How did you find that out? Because they said so in the documentary. Oh, what? I don't know. <laughs> what? I watched it. I must have. I watched I it like have... six times. Okay, great. But then it's like, it's crazy, right? So then I just couldn't, I couldn't yeah, believe that's that. Wild. That like, we have Rayleigh here and like Amber is still so, like she's saving all these lives still to this day. Like she's still so present because we learn that the Amber Alert has saved over 1,000 children. Wow. And it ends with saying, if you have any information about this murder, call 817-469-TIPS, which is 8477. Can we just solve this thing, goddammit? I know. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Oh, and Pam and Donna meet up. Oh, what yeah. I wouldn't do. Yeah. They end up, and it's like they haven't seen each other. They see each other 26 yeah, years yeah. after. And I'm like, this has, I never say this. I want this to go on for another 30 minutes. I know. I just want to <laughs> hang with Pam and Donna and Rayleigh and everyone and Diane. I love these women. They, oh my God, they're unbelievable. Oh my God, girl, we did it. With Amber, the. Amber, the girl behind the alert. It's on Peacock. Fam, whenever you ask us if there's a documentary that we like, this is it. It's Go watch it. It's so fucking good. Really, really good. Speaking of, if you're listening to this the day this comes out, on Thursday the 13th of July, we're going to be in Denver doing our live show covering the jinx at the Newman Center. And then on the 15th, on Saturday the 15th, we'll be at the Vic in Chicago. Both shows have fewer than 100 tickets left. So okay. come see us. You won't be sorry. Don't be afraid to come alone. No, you're, you're never need alone with us. a million friends. We stick around afterwards to say hi. It's yeah. so fun. Say hi to everybody. Join us on the Patreon fam over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge yeah. right the second you sign up yeah like immediately immediately you get all the all the episodes from Hulu and Netflix and yeah. Peacock and then like after parties yeah. and all that stuff there's so much there so much fun stuff Um, what are we doing next girl we're doing A Murder in Mansfield which oh is oh my god a documentary made by Collier Landry so fam Collier Landry is a good friend of mine he and Tara Newell who is the woman that was responsible for taking down Dirty John yes. Meehan. They are very good friends. They make a podcast called Survivor Squad. Are you on their Patreon? Yes. Yeah, me too. They are coming to Obsessed <laughs> Fest. They're going to do 
a live show. But this documentary is all about Collier. I think he was 13 or 12 when his dad murdered his mother and he was the, the only person who knew and nobody believed him and he helped solve the case. And this is the documentary about that whole experience. He like sits down with his he dad. He sits down it's with crazy. his dad in the end who's like obviously in a maximum security prison. Of it's fucking crazy. It's really wild. I love this documentary. I'm it's, so glad we're doing of it. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, all right, fam. Well, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our funny and hilarious outtakes. Yeah, well, here's hoping. <laughs> They're enthusiastic, if anything. They're, funny, They're energetic. Our hilarious and enthusiastic <laughs> outtakes. Our energetic. Oh, my God. With lots of feelings. All right, we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. One of the things I've always been interested in my life about, ever since you murdered my mother, is the collateral damage of violence. I've always wanted to do something positive with this tragedy. And I came to town to reach out to friends and family that I have never really spoken to about this and to reconnect with them because my family had been so fractured by this violence. But I think the first step was my quest to heal myself. I'm going to say we're going to bring it back. I fucking love women. Women are getting shit done in this episode. I love it. You know, that was one of my mom who worked in, uh, my mom worked in housing in the sense that she worked for uh, HUD, Housing and Urban Development. My mom like found housing for gay people who were legally discriminated against, but also the shelter system. My mom worked in the shelter system for uh, like 10 years. Yeah. These people are angels on earth. Yeah. So instead of, I don't know, throwing like billions of dollars to go, down to the oh, bottom of this? the ocean. Oh, shit, we're doing this? I've said it on the after party. Okay. All of this, like, money can go in a lot of other I ways. I know. Just watch a fucking documentary about the goddamn I thing. Know.